Hi, and welcome to the Rostrum Agency Managing Reputational Risk podcast with me, Grant Bather. In this series of podcasts, I'll be discussing crisis and reputation management from a public relations and media perspective. I'll take a look at the definition of a crisis, what it feels like to be engulfed in a media storm, the role of a crisis communications team, and what steps businesses and individuals can take to minimise media exposure around reputational risk. Each episode, I'll be joined by guests who will give their unique insight into managing reputational risk. And of course, I'll give my take from a PR perspective. Having started my career as a journalist before becoming a company spokesperson and PR professional, I've seen all angles of a crisis. So join me and my guests as we delve into the issues that play into managing reputational risk. I'm joined by Mark McGregor. Mark has worked in communications and politics for over 30 years, including as chief executive of the Conservative Party. In addition to his political career, Mark worked for Philip Morris, the world's biggest tobacco company. In this episode, we examine the need for reputational credit and discuss how organisations can learn from politicians and much more. Thanks for joining me today, Mark. The question that I ask every guest on this podcast to kick things off is, how do you define a crisis? The first point to make is that you don't. Crises come in so many different forms and shapes and sizes for almost every organisation. And and my observation, you know, having worked and advised with companies, businesses um, and politicians, is it's often things that you don't really plan for. It's often small things that trip you up and can have the, the kind of biggest impact on your reputation. And in truth, everything you do has to be looked through the reputational uh, prism. And I think sometimes companies focus on the the kind of big announcements they make, the new product launches, new services, their financial results. But actually, it's often the smallest things, small something that no one is really much paying much attention to that actually causes um, them most angst. And and certainly, you know, we all know that the truism that once your reputation is damaged, it's incredibly hard um, to rebuild trust. And so actually, in some ways, you know, in organisations of every shape and size, you do need to make sure that you have a focus on everything. And I guess the trick is, how can you bring that outside the the business view into the organisation? How can you ensure that that you see things how... Uh, how the outside world will see it. And I think that's one of the biggest difficulties for companies is they're so, you know, they're, they're not even that focused on their opposition and they're, they're competitive. They're so fo- focused on what they're doing. They sometimes forget to think about how their actions might be seen by the outside world. Definitely. It, it's something that I ask the companies that, that we work with at Rostrum is part of this horizon scanning. So see what the regulators doing, see what competitors are doing, see what the general landscape is, and then take a, a three-month analysis on that. And every three months, you have a, a key set of, of people that, that meet up and go, this is what we've seen from the economy. This is what we've seen from others in our industry. This is what we're seeing on social media and the trends. Uh, this what we're seeing on on coverage this is what our competitors are doing so taking all that information and distilling it and going and this is why it's important for this organization exactly and i I think having that outside um the organization view is important The, the other thing that i think consultancies bring is because they work for um organizations and businesses in different sectors you can sometimes learn great lessons about what has worked or not worked so well, um, not from businesses in your own sector, but from those 
uh, outside. I mean, I remember the time, just as an example, you know, go back six or seven years where technology companies, Google, Amazon, Uber, were, were the kind of the government rolled out the red carpet to them. They were kind of they presented the great saviors. And the reputation of tech companies at that point was probably an all time high. You know, kind of roll forward five or six years, that position is most definitely not the case. And if if you see you know, things like the online safety bill, which is going through Parliament, that is a reaction to all the various issues and reputational uh, things that have affected technology companies. So it's not a static either. That's the important thing. You, you might be a you might be a company that's in a sector that's actually pretty well regarded. Take pharmaceutical companies at the moment. Um, yeah. But that one, that hasn't always been the case. And two, that may not always be the case in the future. The other thing, I guess, point that's worth making is that the word crisis and the word unprecedented are much overused. And sometimes when you're under the, the kind of media eye or, or the tension because of something you've done, it can, it can kind of feel as if the whole world is looking at you. And, and believe me, they're probably not. It might feel like <laughs> that. And so it's worth just making sure that you put things in proper perspective. It doesn't mean you don't need to take the right steps to address those issues and to take them seriously. But sometimes I think it's very easy to get things out of proportion and to think that, that actually you're under much, much more scrutiny, much more hostile scrutiny than anyone else. I mean, and the fact, the, the tr- fact of the matter is that all corporates, all businesses are under yeah, under greater scrutiny than ever before. I mean, social media makes that incredibly easy to do. Um, if you've got a problem with a service or a product, you just post something online and, and there you have it. But I think that's a more general trend that there's a, it's been over, you know, my kind of political lifetime, so 20, 30 years. Corporates, big businesses are now much more uh, people are much more willing to criticise them than they might have been a few decades ago. You know that, that it's you, you don't hear the word captains of industry anymore, uh, and just as people are much more cynical about maybe politicians and the media, that uh, corporates are under the same level of scrutiny. Definitely, I've certainly seen it. On your point about social media, it's very easy for someone who is dissatisfied with a product or a service to go straight to that organisation, but not just go straight to the organisation, but to copy in a journalist. So the journalist has a story right there in front of them. Customers are now that gap between the journalist and the organisation, which, as you said, kind of 10, 15 years ago, probably wasn't the case. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely right. I guess that the only counter to that is it's also important to put social media into perspective the world is not twitter and twitter the people who are on twitter for example or facebook you know they're not necessarily in the criticisms they might make are not are not necessarily representative of what the wider world might think and so you can have these big storms that come up about the behavior of a company or something they've done you just need to sometimes take a step back i guess my experience is that people are more reasonable about their expectations, both good and bad, about companies than they're sometimes given credit for. You know, sometimes they're, oh, well, you know, the whole world is a, is against a companies. No, they're not. They buy their products. They, they you know, they, they buy their services. Yeah. Um, they, you know, they, they buy into big brands. And so sometimes it's easy when you are in the in in the middle of one of these. Uh, storms kind of easy to to take what you see on Twitter and confuse that with. Uh, what everybody thinks and so I do I do think there's a and again that's about trying to put things in proportion it doesn't of course mean that you shouldn't take the right steps to put right whatever you've done wrong as you said you know there are plenty of examples of companies that 
uh, made a mistake, they apologize, they, uh, you know, but they actually put in place the steps to ensure it doesn't happen again. But actually, you get some credit for that. Um, yeah. and, and it's sometimes easy to think, oh, well, you know, we might have tried to put that right, but no one took any notice. No, pe- people do. People are willing, as long as you're willing to acknowledge your error and that you have the right steps in place to prevent that happening again, people are willing to give you some credit uh, credit for that. Where often things fall down is where companies, the same with politicians, try and cover up the, you know, the error, pretend it never happened or try and deflect it or, worst of all, use lawyerly language you know to try and pretend that the the issue didn't exist or they're not and somehow responsible re- responsible for for what happened so, so i do think that a, in almost all circumstances my first recommendation would be say so have we made an error is there something that we have done wrong if we have let's put it right and let's tell the world we're doing that and i think clarity about taking those decisions very quickly and being completely transparent with those in the outside world is the best first step that any organization can take it goes back to something that i talk about in my media training a lot which is the the 3r approach if there is a an issue or a crisis that needs managing it's we're really sorry this happened these are the reasons it happened and this is the remedy to make sure it never happens again so right. there is that reason and remedy and there's plenty of organizations that have done that and managed to you know survive and, and even thrive after a, a crisis but when things go wrong is when they don't say sorry, they don't give the reasons why things have gone wrong, and they don't say, and this is what we're doing to make sure it doesn't happen again. It's just a, no, it's nothing here, or like you said, they are kind of falling back behind that loyally language. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. The other thing is it's worth understanding that there, there is, a, as I said, there is a wider sense of cynicism, concern about the behaviour of, you know, big organizations. Um, and therefore, you have to understand the context in which people see you. So it isn't you might have done many admirable things as an organization in the past, but not every other business has. And so when you do something, you, you know, you can, I think sometimes people think, oh, that's unfair. You know, we, we've just, this is one thing we've done. And actually, we've had a pretty, you know, pretty impeccable record on what it would be sustainability or, or transparency on pricing, or whatever it might be. But the trouble is that that one mistake fits into a story that people have themselves about the behavior of business in general. And therefore, you have to understand that it isn't just what you have done, but what many, many other organizations have done. And that that, that sort of sets the frame for for anything, any action that, that you might take and therefore any corrective steps that um, that you, you might take as well. The, the other thing is it's important to... I, th- I think sometimes, and I can take as one example I have, I think businesses are m- much less uh, visible about their positive achievements than they might have been in the past. Yeah. And I think one of the things that organisations have to do is to make sure that they're telling the positive story about the things they are doing. And sometimes, particularly actually where perhaps their sector or their business has taken a hit, the natural reaction is to kind of go and hide under a shell for a, a long time. I sort of think the opposite. You, you've got to try and build up what you might call reputational credit by doing things in a bold way, uh, telling the story to the outside world, but actually focusing on the good that you are that you are doing. Because otherwise, the only time you're visible is when inevitably mistakes are made in almost every organization the only time you're then visible is when something goes wrong and i think you have to try and find a way to get on the front foot about the the good things that the business does do and and of course that is difficult because to take the old 
adage, bad news is news and good news isn't news, it's actually quite difficult to get, you know, generate media coverage. But of course, you do now have your own channels in where, where you can talk to the outside world, so directly itself on, on social media. So, so I do think there's greater opportunity now than perhaps there might have been in the past to tell your story. But I think if you don't do that, if you sit quietly in the corner and hope that no one ever looks at you, you're not building up that reputational credit so that when something does go awry, that you're in a position to put it in the context of all the other things that you've been doing. Definitely. And I'm, I'm drawn to that phrase, reputational credit. And from your time at Philip Morris, it, might have, it must have been quite hard for that reputational credit. Basically, how do you positively promote the reputation of a company that has a negative reputation among the wider public? Um, aren't you already on the back foot being involved in tobacco? Yeah. So look, Philip Morris International, world's biggest uh, tobacco company. The reason I actually joined them is because they, they had a chief executive who set a new course for the business. They, he decided they wanted to go smoke-free to move out of cigarettes into, into, into alternative products like um, e-cigarettes and heated tobacco. And I thought, well, it's almost like the ultimate reputational challenge. But you're <laughs> right that they have, that sector has the, because I did some comparative research, that sector has the lowest net favorability of any uh, any part of sort of British business. So when I when I when I arrived there, I think it was a net favorability of minus sixty seven percent. Wow. Um, the, uh, and and if you think about politicians that have been unpopular, Jeremy Corbyn at the last election, he might have been unpopular, but he never quite approached that level. So so you're right in a way that that is a that it's very very hard to make a case that that business and indeed all businesses in that sector are doing. Um, any anything positive uh, in truth there is an opportunity if you say that we are committed to in that case exiting the cigarette market there is actually a case you can certainly make that uh, statement and have that as an ambition but in order to sustain the view that you are credible you actually then have to live up to it so you have to have a plan to deliver that it's all well and good saying yes we'd like to no longer be selling cigarettes for example but unless you're actually able to demonstrate how that's happening it's just more warm words and it's words like that which you know i think the public are um incredibly uh cynical about but there are other examples in other industries you think about you know, what's happened with energy companies like bp and shell you know they have committed to moving towards uh, net zero towards renewables, car companies, many of them have given a specific date now where they'll stop selling, you know, anything other than electric cars. So I think there are industries that have recognized that they have reputational issues, often to do with what they do as a business, yeah. and that therefore there is there is a way of fixing it, but it isn't about you know, designing some nice words or some pretty logos on a website. It's about taking steps that demonstrate that the harm that your business is doing is being corrected or that you're moving away from one thing um, to another. Because fundamentally, it's not about a sort of PR spin. It's not about a communication strategy. It's about a business strategy. And that's sometimes the thing that, you know, for those those kinds of organizations, they have to, have to understand that you're not going to write your your tarnished reputation simply by saying the right words. You have to take the right actions as well. Definitely. I dealt with an organization and they were massive on talking about diversity and helping promote diversity. And I flagged them on their and on the look on their website and their team was not diverse 
at all. So it's about talking the talk, but walking the walk as well. And I, I think that customers are looking at mission statements now by organizations a lot closer than they were you know, two, three years ago and going, okay, this all makes sense. How are they going to do this? And like you said, it's about giving that credibility and showing exactly each step of the way, this is what we're doing to achieve net zero or to move away from tobacco. It's giving the the customer and the investors clear signposts as to how they're going to achieve what they want to achieve. Let me give you a practical example. So when I was working at at Phyllis Morris International, we actually ran a uh, a stop smoking campaign called Hold My Light. The first time any of the, for obvious reasons, a a tobacco company had run a stop smoking campaign. (laughs) Of course, the opponents of the tobacco companies were very critical of it. How can you possibly do that? But again, what I found fascinating was we did some consumer research afterwards about people who'd seen the campaign. We showed them clips of some of the interviews that we did and some of the material on the campaign website. And what I found fascinating was that that they gave much more credit to the organisation, to that uh, company, than the critics would have hoped. You know, it was sort of okay that the, the attitude was, okay, we may not believe that they are genuinely going to go smoke free but we should at least give them the chance to prove if they're doing that or not that they were actually willing to take the first step to accepting that perhaps the company could stop doing this um, this one thing and move into alternative products they didn't you know they weren't simply saying oh yes i absolutely believe them 100 <laughs> percent. but but i what i found interesting is how much more reasonable they were in their willingness to accept okay they've taken the first step I'll believe them more if I can see future steps in in future. I think if you're a BP or a Shell or, or you know, Volvo or any of the big car companies, for example, on, on Net Zero, I think it's very easy for them to sort of sit there and say, well, almost whatever we do, we're going to be criticised by the environmental groups and to think, you know, we don't get any credit. Yeah, but that's not the same as the wider public. I think the wider public do think that companies like that are taking steps. They may want them to go faster. But they do understand they're taking the steps in what might be seen to be the right direction and that, therefore, they are going to give them some credit for that. And that's why I talk about separating out kind of what you might call activist Twitter that isn't going to like you whatever you do and the kind of real world where people are more uh, reasonable. They are willing to to accept your uh, that you are head in a particular direction and if you if you continue to do that over a period of years you will you know again coming back you will build up your reputational credit and the people but on the other hand also if you set out a particularly bold ambition and then it turns out that somewhere in your organization you're doing the opposite you know that's where you run into trouble and that comes back to the point about if you set a you know if you've set a big change in your organization you better make sure that every part of your company understands that and is pointed in the same uh, same direction yeah, it's an, another point I'll make in the media training is making sure everyone is on the same on the same page talking about the same things and everybody in the organisation down from the receptionist to the chief executive and everyone in between knows exactly what direction the company is going in, what they want to focus on and, and why they're focusing on it. Exactly. It's the old um, apocryphal story of um, JFK going to NASA, isn't it? And he meets the allegedly met the janitor and said what what uh, hey what do you do here and he says i'm helping put a man on the moon 
Um, yeah. and, and when you're changing your reputation, that's what you want the, to take a car company. That's what you want the engineers in the, you know, in the car uh, company to say, we're moving to all electric vehicles. Um, I think that's also an incredible challenge because, of course, you have people that have often worked on those other things for decades. And, and so actually um, they, they have a sort of emotional commitment. It is a big job, whoever's the CEO, to actually persuade people that this isn't just you know, something that's good for the outside world. Ultimately, it's good for that company. You know, it would be better for everyone who works there if they shift their reputation, if they shift their product or service portfolio, because it will actually put them in the best place to be a successful company, not just next year, but 10 or 20 years time. Yeah, it's all about future-proofing the organisation. Yeah, exactly. Going back to your reputational credit point, but from a political angle, how can politicians improve their reputational credit? It's pretty low at the moment. It's, I think it's tricky. I mean, I think there's been... I mean, in my political lifetime, I've worked inside politics, I've worked advising politicians as well as, as corporates. You, you know, I have seen a... There has been an erosion of trust in... In politicians across the board is another party political point. You know, people have very little uh, faith in politicians' willingness to make commitments and then deliver on them. But again, it's sometimes easy to get that out of proportion. And I think people have relatively reasonable expectations of what is possible. So in some ways, delivering small successes is actually one of the best ways that they can they they can rebuild people's faith in the whole political environment not not just individual politicians i did some research recently about the attitudes of um, what are called rebel voters towards um, improvements in transport for example one of the things i found really interesting is that for all the talk of massive infrastructure uh, changes you know hs2 and the like what they were actually interested in was in improvements to their local bus service so they could get into town, they'd get to work, and improvements to their local train service. And maybe actually improving, uh, uh, reducing the number of potholes in the road so they you know, they can actually drive relatively easily. So yeah. these are not you know, huge aspirations, but they are real. You know, what people, what people see before their eyes and what they can experience on their, for example, their daily commute is, is something that means something to them. Improving the infrastructure of the country sounds great, yeah. but it doesn't probably for them make that much personal difference to them or their families. It might actually in the end be good for their, for their town if they get greater connectivity. But I think people like things that are much more tangible. And so I think the challenge for politicians is how you, how you can translate these kind of big ambitious programs into something that means something in people's lives. And of course, that does have lessons for corporates because often, again, big companies have a way of talking about what, you know, the, the number of jobs they want to, you know, introduce um, if they're expanding across the country. But the real trick is to say, well, how many, how many are there going to be in Rotherham? How yeah. many will there be um, in, in, in Ramsgate? What is the, how do you translate those big aspirations into something that it may only be 10 or 20 or 30 jobs locally, or it may only be some you know, new venture that you're creating there. Yeah, but that's what means things to people um, who, who, are, who, you know, who live in those places. Yeah, and to go on that real and, and tangible element, I guess that's part of what has got the, uh, the the current government in trouble because of these allegations of of parties and things like that. They are real things and tangible. These are the things that the general public 
at the time were strictly advised against doing and as a result are as you said kind of amplified because they are things that shouldn't have been done and have been so i guess that reputational credit that may or may not have been there already has been further diminished yeah i think that's that's probably right the other point i wanted to make is just about people might think this is an odd statement but are there lessons that corporates can learn from politics and i think if you went back 20 30 years ago you know in terms of marketing and comms i'd say no one in their right mind would would have said that politicians were better at communicating they were better at running high profile communications advertising campaigns i'm not sure that's true anymore some of the most successful political campaigns that have been run over the last four or five years. The one thing that's clear is that a huge amount of research was done into what would be the most appealing messages. And then the framing of the campaign was done in a, you know, hugely had to recognize whether you like the characters or the campaigns involved, they were done in hugely effective ways. So, you know, get Brexit done at the last election, make America great again, let's take back control. These are all hugely um, emotional and effective campaign slogans under which were very effective. I mean, they all won. Um, yeah. So so in a way, sometimes when I, I look at corporates, I find that a lot of their campaigns don't have that, you know, that clarity of purpose. Yeah. They don't have that sharpness of message. I mean, obviously, there's an advantage in a political campaign because it's it's a moment in time. The media do a lot of reporting about it. You know, there is an end date to it, the election, and often it's a it's a pretty binary choice. But I do sometimes think that there are lessons that corporates could learn. I mean, acknowledging perhaps privately that there are some lessons you could learn in how to communicate effectively, and a lot of that comes comes back to can we define what we are trying to do as a business in a very clear way that people will understand? And can we then have a sustained campaign over probably many years to ensure that uh, that our customers and potential customers and partners and suppliers actually understand that that's what we're doing? Yeah, it goes back to your earlier point of, of shouting about the good stuff. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think that's right. And, and there are um, organizations which ha- have become much more cowed is probably too strong a word but much much more cautious i've got one final question for you again i ask every every guest is that what steps can individuals or organizations take to mitigate and minimize their exposure to to these negative reputational issues that that can and probably will occur at some point the absolute most important step you can take is understand what your current reputation is that's the first step. If you don't know where you stand against your direct competitors and against other businesses and other organizations, then I think it's very hard for you to, to make the best decisions about how you react to any crisis. The second is that first instinct, if something goes wrong, should always be to understand how the outside world sees it. And if you've made a mistake, to apologize. Yeah. I think the instinct of most companies when something happens, it is to deny it. 
or to pretend it didn't happen or to somehow try and shuffle away and hope that it gets ignored. So I think the principle of thinking when something comes up is to think, have what have have we lived up to our what people expect of us? Have we lived up to that? If we have not, is there something we can do to apologise and to put it right? And it doesn't mean that you have to apologise for everything, but it does mean that that at least should be one of the things you think about uh, first. And finally, I think it's hugely important to understand that your a company's reputation is is in the end all it has. You know, companies that have tarnished or trashed reputations don't tend to succeed for very long. And the brands that will succeed over 10 or 20 years' time will be the, the brands with the best reputation. You take Apple uh, as a good example. So I do think that having in your thought not just how do I deal with crisis, but how do I build up reputational credit by telling the world the story about the good we are doing as a business up for ourselves, for our customers, for our suppliers, for our partners, whoever it might be, is incredibly important. And even if you only get the chance to tell that story through the occasional media interview and through your own channels, it's okay. You can't expect when when the world has many other probably more burning issues to cover, this to be on the front page of every newspaper. But I think if you don't tell your story, no one else is going to do it for you. So I think finding a way to talk about the positive good that your business does, which every CEO must think, should be front and foremost of how you think about presenting yourself to the outside world. Fantastic. Absolutely brilliant points. I really love the phrase, the reputational credit, and we'll definitely be using that in the future. So thank you so much for your time today, Mark. It's been absolutely fascinating and hopefully have you on again soon. Okay. Thank you so much. I thought it was good fun. And that's the end of this wide ranging episode of Managing Reputational Risk. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to like and subscribe and we'll see you soon. This is a Rostrum Agency production, produced, mixed and edited by Rostrum. Rostrum is a full service communications agency offering PR, content and influencer marketing, social media, training, design and much more. Rostrum is among the UK's top 5 B2B agencies and a PR Week top 100 agency, specialising in financial services, professional services, consumer and corporate campaigns as well as crisis management, content marketing and social media. Rostrum creates campaigns and content to help clients punch above their weight. Rostrum measures everything it does, delivering exceptional value for clients' budgets. To find out more, search rostrum.agency.